This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Seminary girls that just got back from Eretz Yisrael, we're very happy that you came to um, Arnava tonight. And uh, we hope to be here for you, for whatever you need, in Mitzvah Hashem. So all those who were here last week, I said a marshal, I said a parable, um, and I think it was a little bit misunderstood by um, some of the emails that I received, and um, I'd like to clarify a little bit that parable, and for those who weren't here last week, um, just give you a fast idea of what I said. So I told a story about, I used the word a gorgeous girl, um, and somebody sent me an email, an email that took, no, took um, was not happy that I used the word gorgeous girl because in our parable we're talking about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and she felt that's a physical aspect of a person not their neshama what I was trying to say is that the beauty of God it's some people you can't explain the, the beauty of the spirituality of God but everyone who's human can understand the beauty of God physically the world that he created for us the blue skies, the clouds, the trees, the flowers everything that we have so in the parable, we're, we're going to the person who doesn't even recognize that. So we're trying to make a point to the person who doesn't recognize that. So my, my parable last week was about this very beautiful girl, and um, they read her a shidduch, and the guy was a very bad, very, he was a very big balgaiva. I specifically used that midah, if you listen to the tape of last week's shir, that he was a very big balgaiva, he was a very big big shot, and he thought very you know, much of himself. And that she didn't really want to go out with him, but she didn't want the shachin to be turned off and not read her shidduchim because she was very pretty. Maybe the shachin would think that, you know, she thinks a lot of herself. So when she heard that he was a very big Valgaev and that he was a big shot and that he wasn't a nice guy, she didn't want to go out with him, but she had to. So she made herself not look pretty. And um, he went out with her and he told all his friends after the first date that, you know, I dropped her. I dropped her. Um, she's not what you say she is. And anyway, you know, he was a big shot. Like, you know, I dropped her. Are you all talking about her? And eh, she's not such a you know, big deal. I dropped her, and he was very proud of himself. And I said that he made the mistake, that she dropped him. That but when she found out that he was a big shot, so she, made, she got dressed not nice. She did her hair not nice. She did her makeup, everything not nice, so that he wouldn't be attracted to her, so that he, so that he wouldn't want to go out with her anymore, and she wouldn't have to make excuses. He, you know, he dropped me, you know. But really, she dropped him before she even went out. Um, I got an email from a person who said, Hashem never drops you. So how can you tell a parable, a story, about this girl who dropped this, this guy, and it's really that, you know, all the kids that are running around saying, I dropped God, and I spoke on Shabbos, and I don't care about Hashem. Really, Hashem sort of dropped you, because if Hashem was Megala himself, if he wasn't hidden, and he would show you who he is, then you couldn't drop him. So if you don't know who he is, and you're so disconnected, it means because Hashem is hiding you. And this lady sent me a very email that she was very disturbed, that Ray Wallstein, who's in Kirov, how could you get up? And say Hashem dropped, Hashem doesn't drop anyone. So there's two points that I need to answer. Number one, that there's a Kabayashan and many of the Swaram that say very clearly that Gaiva, and that's specifically why I said about this boy that he was a big shot, that Hashem and Gaiva don't go together. And a person who is a big shot, God walks away from his Daladamos. So Hashem never let, walks away totally from us, but a person who's, who's a Balgaiba, who's a big shot, Hashem does not share the same area with that person. He does not, he does not, and it says in the, in the Torah that a person who does things that are immoral, that are Tomei, 
Hashem does not, you will not be found in a place that's Tommy. Any other very cheese burgers, Mechal Shabbos, whatever it is, Hashem is still there. When a person does an Aveira that's immoral, Akash Baruch Hu steps away. Doesn't mean that he gives up on this person. God, God doesn't give up on anybody. But as long as that person is a big shot, Hashem doesn't want to show him his beauty. Absolutely. It's very clear. Hashem doesn't want to show him his beauty because Hashem doesn't want to be in the same chutzr as this person. Hashem never gives up on anybody. And what I did say during the speech was that the, the, the job of the person is to be able to see the fundamental. In other words, if he was smart enough and he was to say, even though she wasn't dressed nicely and she wasn't dressed up or whatever it was, and he said, but I see that her features are very beautiful and she's just hiding from me. And then he said, I want to go out with her again. Then she would have to go out and then they could start talking and then there would be a relationship. So, so therefore what I was trying to say in my marshal is that a person who doesn't see God and feels very separated from Hashem, so they need to find Hashem through his Bria, through his features, through that we can breathe air, through that there's water and the sun comes up every morning and watch a sunset. And it's not the highest level of Amunah. It's not the highest level of Amunah. But it's definitely a level of Amunah to see Hashem through his Bria. It's brought down. It's a deacon used to go up at night. They used to look at the stars, whatever it is. There's a connection to Hashem through that. So a person who's having a rough life and saying, I don't see Hashem's beauty. Look, the Holocaust. Look, my grandmother died. Look, uh, my Shidduchim are not working. Look at all this. He's not such a kind, beautiful God, right? And that person, you know, thinks he dropped Hashem or she dropped Hashem. It's because you're not realizing the features of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and trying to get close. Now, I am talking in a physical sense because that's a sense that everybody could understand. I cannot tell everyone to understand Hashem emotionally or understand Hashem spiritually. That's a different level. But at least, on the bottom level, see Hashem through His Bria, through His creation. So, I very much appreciate the, the, the uh, email that I received. I hope that the lady or the young woman who sent me the email understands what I'm trying to explain. And I welcome any time that it could be taken, my marshal or the stories that I'm saying could be taken differently. It's important that you call me and you tell me so that, um, so that, I, so that I explain it. Okay. She felt that I was, that I was um, giving um, credence to beauty because I said the girl was gorgeous. God is gorgeous. What should I tell you? You know, that he, he, he's, he's the most beautiful creator in, in, in the whole world. And, and he's hidden from us and one day we'll see him. But um, he, his beauty that we could see is what he, what he creates in the world for us, for all of us, for every one of us. And the beauty of a human body and the beauty of a plant and the beauty of a flower and the beauty of a butterfly. And all these things, Hashem didn't create butterflies so you can walk around and, you know, say, hi, I love butterflies. It's to understand that he created it and that it's a cement of his beauty. So that's what I was trying to get across last week and uh, I hope everybody understands. But because I got that, email, and I, ha- I had to speak this Shabbos, I felt that where I was speaking the Shabbos, if I was to use the same marshal, that the people would also feel, how could you say that Hashem dropped us before we dropped Him? Because it's, it's a little harsh, and Hashem doesn't really drop us, but He hides. Maybe I shouldn't use the word drop. He's hidden. He's, 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 we know He's Nister. You have to look for Him. You have to be able to say that through my trouble and through the stuff I go on in life, I still see His beauty. And that's how you get close to Hashem. And the closer you get to Hashem, the more you want to see more beauty. And that's why one mitzvah leads to another mitzvah. Because it opens up what you see and you want to see more and you want to see more. And anyone who knows a masmid, a boy who sits and learns 18, 19 hours a day, 
Yes, it's supposed to be lishma because he, there's a mitzvah to learn. But learning brings you close to Hashem. And the more they learn, the more they see the secrets of the Torah, the more they see Hashem. And they can't get enough of it. And they want to see more. And they're like, Hashem, I want to see more of your beauty. I want to see more of your beauty. That's what learning Torah does. That's, that's, that's what we gain from, from, from learning Torah. But anyway, I had to switch. Because I had to switch lanes. Because I didn't want to use the word, Hashem drops you before you drop him. Um, so I wrote a new marshal. And I'd like to share this muscle with you tonight um, and a new parable and I think it's very important for the girls who are here tonight who I spoke to in seminary in Eretz Yisrael and it's their first time here um, I think it has a lot to do with coming back from seminary so the, the new story which is really an offshoot of this story was like this there was a king and he had a very beautiful we won't use the word gorgeous he had a very beautiful daughter inside and out, her midos, physically, spiritually, everything was um, amazing about her. And it was time for her to make a shidduch, it was time for her to get married. Now, in this country, the way they used to do it is like on Tuba Av. All the girls that were dating would come out dressed and um, all the same way, so that nobody would look at them differently. Same makeup, you know, same everything. And, and the boys would come out all wearing the same suit. And then, um, I'm too above, you know, the boys would look at the girls, the girls would look at the boys, he would say, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what family she comes from, it doesn't matter how much money, why we had this, it doesn't matter how much money she has, and, and, and you know, he would just pick out a, a girl, and it would be, the most important thing would be her, her Kedusha, and her Midos, and her Anava. So, the king, this was the princess, and he knew that if the princess would come with her crown and her gown, all the guys would say, uh, hello, you know, I want to be the prince, I want to marry this girl. Not knowing, so he sent her out, dressed like everybody else. Because he was scared that she would be picked only because she's a princess. He didn't want that kind of guy for her husband. Not, the king not knowing that a king from another country sent his son the prince. Also dressed like the other guys. Not differently, because he didn't want a girl to like him because he's the prince. So you had a prince and a princess at this meeting, and each one did not know that the other one was a prince and a princess. And it's an unbelievable thing. So everybody meets each other, they start talking, it's a big shidduch deal, right? Everybody's talking, trying to figure out who's the girl he wants to marry. And this prince is talking to everybody, they all look, everyone's equal, and he comes across the princess. Because he pretty much is like, you talk to every girl, every girl talks to every boy, and then you decide what you want to do. And in the shidduch world, I don't know what it's called. Fast dating, crazy, you know, something like that. What? Speed dating. Okay, so they had speed dating. <laughs> anyway, so the prince takes one look at this girl, starts talking to her, and he's like, this girl is not like the rest of them. There's something very different about her. At the same time, she's talking to him, she says, this guy is not like everybody else. He's, he's coming from royalty. And he's like, she must be from royalty. I wonder if the king sent his own daughter to the speed dating. And she's thinking, I wonder if the king of the other country sent his son to the speed dating. And they start to talk to each other. And of course, you know, they, get, they, get, they don't talk about who they are because they're scared if they talk about who they are, then the other one's going to like them for that reason. And they start talking, they start dating, and of course in the end they find out who they are. And it's a beautiful ending, you know. Princess marries the prince. What's this marshal? It's a very important marshal. And it's important to the seminary, but it's important to everybody. How did the prince know she was a princess? 
How come no one else knew she was a princess? What? Because he was royalty, and royalty understands royalty. And the minute he heard how she spoke, and how she walked, and how she talked, and how she thought, he's like, this could be my sister. This girl could be brought up in my palace. And she's talking to him, she's saying, this guy talks like royalty. All the other guys I was talking to were peasants. He's talking about things that royal... Why? Because she was brought up in a royal house. Therefore, my marshal and what I was trying to say is that a girl who's a tsnua, a girl who's a tsnua now, sneas, which means modesty, is clothing, but it's not only clothing, it's the way you talk, it's the way you think, it's the way you do chesed, it's the way you carry yourself, it's your midos, right? Sheker achem, the beauty is, is, is false. Because beauty comes and beauty is gold. And everybody has their own taste in, in, in what's, what's beautiful and what's not beautiful. Right? But, so, but the woman who fears God. So it's Snua is a woman who's very modest. A woman who carries herself like a princess. A woman who carries herself like a princess. So, the relationship that we have with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Shechina, is looking, now the Shechina could be, you could look at it female, not female, whatever it is, because the way the Shechina is spelled, whatever it is, but it doesn't really matter. The Shechina, whether it's, whether it's a Kala looking for a Chassan or a Chassan looking for a Kala, is looking for the royalty, is looking for the girl who comes from a royal home, and I don't mean, you know, from England or whatever it is, but from a, from a home of royalty, and, and therefore... For a boy, for you to get, the girls who are dating, to get the right boy, is if he recognizes that because you're a tsnua, because you're modest, because you don't curse, because you speak and you walk and you, and you carry yourself like the girl that Hashem, that a Jewish girl is supposed to be, then if that's what he recognizes, that means that he's a prince. That means that he comes from a house that teaches the same thing, or else he wouldn't recognize it, or else he'd be looking for your nail polish, for how you walk, for how much money your father has. He'll only look for that if that's where he comes from. But if he comes from a house of royalty, where his mother is a tsnua, his sisters are tsnuas, his home is a place of kedusha, then he will be able to recognize that the girl he's dating is coming from the same house. But if he doesn't come from such a house, then Itaka won't recognize it, and Itaka not the right shidduch. Because a prince and a princess have a different life than a, than, a, than a peasant. So it's important in your relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because there's no greater royalty. The greatest royalty is God. And therefore, for you to have a relationship with Hashem, and I think that's why he's so strict about Sneas, about a girl's Sneas, because that that modesty makes her a princess, makes her royalty, and helps her connection to Kush Baruch Otherwise, there's a disconnection. And the same thing with a boy. It doesn't, it's not only by a girl. The same thing with a boy. If, if, if he's a person who learns Torah and he's a tznua, and he, he also has to be a tznua. A boy also has a din of a tznua. Not on, on the length of his sleeves, but how he talks, and how he walks, and how he eats, and how he behaves. There's also a din in snua. It's not used the word snua, but in, in midos, 
You know, and it's an interesting thing because when I ask girls, what are you looking for? 90% of them say the same thing. Midos talvos, good midos. Why are all girls looking for good midos? The answer is because most girls have good midos. Most girls come from good midos. So therefore they recognize good midos, just like in my story. So very few girls that I talk to, hundreds, maybe thousands of girls, I, have, I don't think I've ever heard a girl tell me I want a rich boy. I don't think I've ever heard that. Maybe some of them think it, but they, I've never heard that. I want a rich boy. Or I want the most good-looking boy there is in America or the best basketball player or the best musician. 98.9% of girls tell me, Wallstein, find me a boy who's a mensch. Find me a boy who has midos. Why is that what the girl asks for? Because that's what she has. Because she's a princess and she recognizes that. And that's what she's looking for. And if that's not what she's looking for, then she needs to look at herself and say, maybe I'm not acting like a princess if that's not what I'm looking for. And I need to get closer to Hashem. And I need to become a princess so that I appreciate a boy who has good midos. Because really, I'm telling you from a boy's point of view, that that's the most important thing. Because a person with good midos is an anav. An anav will learn Torah. An anav will listen. An anav will have a rebbe. A big shot doesn't have a rebbe. I don't have any talmidim that are balgaivis. Because the first thing our midah as a boy is, yeah, we are definitely more big shotty than girls are. And the first sign of a guy being a balgaivis is that he doesn't have a rebbe. Because we don't want to listen to anybody. We don't want to have someone that we have to ask because when we have to ask, that makes us feel inadequate. It makes us feel not like a man. And that's why men never ask directions. <laughs> We'd rather go around the block 350 times than open the window and ask the guy, where is the address? We put on our satellite, then we do the other satellite, then we call our friends. Eh, eh. But to ask, and a girl, she asks, and then half a block, she asks again to make sure that the person that told them is right. And then a half a block later, she makes sure the other two are right, right, until she gets to the place. And the guy is still going around the block 400 times. Because the girl has a chno. A girl's willing to ask. A girl's willing to learn. And a boy, Armida, is not to, not to have to ask anybody. So one of the biggest simonim, girls, and one of the first questions you should ask when, you go, when, you, when someone reads you a shidduch, does he have a rebbe? If he doesn't have a rebbe, that's a red flag. Why doesn't he have a rebbe? Who's his go-to? Oh, he's passing his own child? Well, if he's passing his own child, he's got big trouble. Because every gadol has a rebbe. The tzaddikim have a rebbe. Everybody, that's hachno. That means I don't know everything. I got to ask. So one of the missions in Pekiyah was there are seven things by a goylem. One of the things by a goylem, which is an earhead, right? One of the things by a goylem is a guy who's not willing to, he answers all your questions. He never says, I need to ask. He has all the answers. It's a goylem. It's a goylem. It has no brain. A goylem is something that has no brain. There are seven things. I'm not going to go through the seven things. You're going to start thinking, Oh, that guy I went out with, he's got six out of seven, you know, so I'm not going to learn that Mishnah. But it's very important, and, and there's nothing wrong, and you should know that. When girls say, like, that's not a good answer, like, I'm looking for Midos because it's too general. No, that means you have Midos. The prince looked for the princess, and the princess looked for the prince. And they knew each other the minute they met each other, because they were different. They were different than everybody else. That is the most important thing. And I'm just giving you a little hints in dating. It's not my dating share. But if he says, I don't have a Rebbe, you, better, you, you, got, a, you got a situation. Everybody has to have a Rebbe. A Selah Harav. 
If you don't have a Rebbe, that means you think you're, you're a know-it-all. If you're a know-it-all, then he's going to be your know-it-all too. And he's always going to be right. And he's always going to tell you his opinion. And it doesn't matter what your opinion is. So, the Mishnah says, you have to have a Rav. You have to have, you have, to have a Rebbe. It doesn't matter who the Rebbe should be, a firm guy, whatever. It doesn't matter. It could be the Satmar Rebbe, the Belzer Rebbe, the Kabbalah Rebbe. It could be a, Lit- a Litvisha Rebbe. It could be a Sephardic Mekubal. As long as they are a person who's someone that's regarded and, as, as a Rav and as a Rebbe. A, a, a Rebbe means you have a Chana. That means I don't know everything. i got to ask my Rebbe. I'm sorry, i got to ask my Rebbe. That means he's not a big shot already. That already takes him down a hundred levels. Okay. I really want to talk about the Pasha, but there's a Mishnah that I would like to talk about for a minute. Um, I heard a very different translation in it this week, and I'd like just to talk about it for one minute. It's Mishnah test in Perik Vav, in Perkei Avos. And it says like this, Amar Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma. Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma said, I was once walking on the way, and I met a person. This is an amazing mission. The translation I heard this week was like, whoa. So this rabbi is walking in the street. His name is Rabbi Yaisi ben Kisma. He meets a man, and the man says, Shalom Aleichem. How you doing? Exactly, Shalom. I said back, Shalom Aleichem. How you doing? Amali. So the man said to me, says Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma, Rabbi, Rabbi, where are you from? So I answered him, from a huge city, from interesting answer. He asked you where you're from. Say New York, say Brooklyn, say, say Sacramento, say Scranton. What are you giving him a whole ganze schmooze over here, right? But he answered them. I'm not telling you the, the name of the city, but I come from a huge city of Chachamim and Sofrim. Chachamim of 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 uh, of of rabbis and seifrim sages doesn't mean seifrim of of sifrei Torah. Amali. So the man said to the rabbi, Rabbi, look at that. He met him on the street. He made him an offer that he couldn't refuse. He says, "I'm looking for a rabbi. Would you please move into our city?" And he made him an offer. Vani eten elef alafim din and I will give you thousands of pounds, thousands, if you times them by each other, it's a million, gold coins, and, 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 and uh, beautiful stones, and jewels. Imagine, you met him in the street, you say, where are you from? I'm from a big city with rabbis. Oh, you're the man, we want you. We'll give you whatever you want. Amarti lo. So the rabbi answered back to this man, If you gave me all the money in the world, I'm not, I would only live in a place where they learn Torah. Now, did he tell them they don't learn Torah? So what's this answer? I learned this Mishnah for a long time. Now, when this guy asked me this question, I, I didn't have an answer. He said, he was from my Irgadol of Chachamim and Seifrim. I come from a town of, of Big Tzadikim. So he said to him, come move into our place, right? And he said back, uh, and if you move into our city, I'll give you whatever you want. And he said back, you can give me all the money in the world, I only live in a place of Tyra. Did this guy tell him that his place doesn't have Tyra? So what's his answer? So what? So he said, come to our place, I'll give you a billion dollars. We got great yeshivas in Kyle. He never told him that we don't have Torah. So why did he say no? Well, beautiful. But I heard something this week was amazing. Yeah. And he brings down from David Amelech, Torah is worth more than all the money uh, that, that a person can have. Then, 
the Mishnah goes in a, diff- in a d- direction. When a person dies, they don't walk with you with your money and your silver and your gold. Only Torah, Meisim, Tavim. So what's going on in this Mishnah? He meets a man, the rabbi meets a man, the man offers him all the money in the world. He says, I don't want your money, I only want to live in a place where there's Torah. The guy never said there isn't any Torah. What's this exchange? What is the Mishnah trying to teach us? So I heard this week that the explanation of this mission is very different. Amar Rav Yosef ben Kisma. Pamachas yisim ahalak baderech. Everybody comes to this world. And it's a trip. It's a trip from when you're born until you die. Menas ali shalom. And the satan comes and says, No, how you doing? Shalom Aleichem. We know when a person is born, they get the Satan. 13 years later, they get the, or 12 years later by a girl, they get the, 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 um, Yetzir It's an interesting thing, because everybody thinks that your Yetzir is stronger than your Yetzir Taiv. But it's not. Because the Yetzir comes into you when you're born or conceived. As a machlaik is born or conceived. Doesn't make a difference, right? But the Yetzir by a girl comes 12 years later. Which means the Yetzir got a 12 year head start. Who gets a head start? The stronger or the weaker? The weaker. The weaker always gets the head start. So if the Satan has 12 years to work on you before the age of type comes, who's stronger, who's weaker? Must mean the Satan is weaker. Of course, you're going to ask yourself, my Satan is not weaker. It's because you don't know the power of your age of type. I have seen it overcome the most amazing obstacles in the world. The age of type needs to get plugged in, that's all. It needs to get plugged in. And then energized, you know, by learning Torah and saying to Hillam and doing mitzvahs. But this mission is a totally different translation. Rav Kisma said, every person comes into the world and he meets the Sahara, And the Sahara says, he's not your enemy. He never makes himself your enemy. He's your best friend. But not only Shalom. He says, how you doing? How's everything? Welcome to the world of text. I was challenged tonight. I don't know yet if I'm going to pull it off. I just want you to know that, you know, I get a lot of arguments about my Facebook and when I talk about that and all the things that I talk about, I want you to know that that if I had the nerve, if I had the nerve, I would get up at the Agoda Convention and I would ask the Rabbanim to absolutely ask her that any Jewish girl or boy, any Jewish girl or boy has text on their phone. It is the connection between girls and boys. It is the connection it is destroying our youth. It is destroying our girls in 7th and 8th grade already when their parents give them a phone and the boys are getting to the girls. That is the medium that's being used, text messaging. And we, as the people that are in the trenches, we cannot fight it anymore. We are totally overwhelmed that 12, 13, 14-year-old girls are being contacted by boys all the time and they're texting back and forth. We cannot know what they're texting because as much as control as you have and you have Verizon you can find out who they're texting and how many times they're texting but you cannot get the text of what's written and it is just so out of control where boys are just getting numbers of girls and texting them and this is the, the means of communication the Sahara has broken down every fence and every wall that the Jewish community has created in Eretz Yisrael they have kosher phones I don't know why we don't have this here. And if I had the guts, I would get up here tonight and tell you that you can no longer text Rabbi Wallerstein, that I've decided to be the first one to set an example. 
to have a phone that you cannot text. The only problem I have with that is that I get a lot of emergency texts where my where I, my phone is not available, and I don't know if I have a right to to go off it. I'm fighting with myself, but this week alone is just something that we as Rabbanim and, and people in the Tzibur, we cannot control it anymore. And it's mamish starting in eighth grade in girls' schools and the best schools and, and all the schools. Doesn't make a difference where these boys are getting girls' phone numbers and then texting them. And then chas v'sham, the most terrible, terrible things are happening. And really, if you really want to build a fence for yourself, anyone in this room, get rid of your text. I, and, and the answer I got from it is the means, it's more of a means of communication between girls than actually talking. That they'd rather get rid of their phone and keep their text. Because that's how they talk to each other. And it's just, it's a terrible thing because boys can get your phone number if you allow them to text. And therefore, somebody told me this week, he said a very good word. It says, it says that you have to watch, right, your eyes. Right? You have to watch your eyes and your heart. Your heart. That eyes used to be, you're not allowed to look at things immoral. And he said, no, the Kriyashma was written a long time ago, Hashem knew what was going to happen, and eyes mean, means not to look at your screen, and at your text messages, and all the other dirt that's, that's on the screen. And I know it's something that's impossible, but in Eretz Yisrael, they're very strict. Any person caught with a, a phone that texts is thrown out of school. And I'm not so sure that I think they're doing the right thing. Because I cannot tell you how many girls, little girls, little girls, 13, 14 year old girls, who are involved with boys and the parents caught them and we and we met with them and it all started with a text message from a boy. So it's it's just like totally out of control. This is this Mishnah. The Yitzhahara says, Shalom Aleichem. How are you? I am on your Facebook. How are you? I am your friend. And I want you to know that I know nothing about Facebook. Because if I knew something about Facebook, I would be screaming a lot louder. Because to my table came this sweet stuff from Facebook that happened between boys and girls. And all these girls were telling me that there's nothing wrong with it. And I just, I just contact my friends. Sheker. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a means to go to the worst places. It's a means for guys to get a hold of girls. You're not allowed to have it. And there are base Yaakov girls that have it. And it's destroying their lives. It's destroying their friends' lives. And you don't have to be a base Yaakov girl for it to destroy you. You're not allowed to be on it. And I know nothing about it. I'm telling you, you can't be on it. And I know nothing about it. And the little that I know is so bad that I don't understand how a from girl can be on there. If you need to contact your friends, call them. Hello, 20 years ago, I, was, I had friends, believe it or not. Robert Wallstein had friends, more than one. I didn't have 90 Right? I didn't have 300 like on Facebook. I couldn't walk around and say I have 300 friends. But I had friends. And I actually called them. You could be in contact with your friends. It's a bad place. It's causing so much trouble. Now it may not be causing trouble for you. But if you have it then your children, you're not going to be sensitive to your children not having it. You're not going to be sensitive to your friends not having it. I never had it. That's why I'm so sensitive. I, I never went on it. I didn't have it. If I had it, I wouldn't make this speech to you because Rev. Wallstein has it. I don't have it. So texting, which I should say tonight, don't bother ever texting me again because it's not, I don't have text, right? It's hard for me to say no because I have it. So it's very hard. I'm honest with myself. I have something, so I'm making it kosher. A lot of the people in this room 
who are on Facebook, or people who are watching me or listening to me, who are on Facebook, know in their heart it's a very bad thing for them. So the first thing you need to do is admit it. Now, whether you go off or not, it's a struggle. That's your struggle. But if you don't admit it, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. I, Rabbi Wallstein, am in the trenches. I meet the kids that are being hurt, that are being exploited, that are being destroyed. The root of every girl that is being destroyed by a boy today, of all the girls that I deal with, is one of two places. Facebook and text messaging. So I have to talk about this. Because I'm not getting it, oh, a phone call, or even television. Television's bad. But I didn't meet a girl that's having a relationship with a boy because she watches television. Or she went to watch a Disney movie. Or she went to Broadway. Not one. Not one girl that is being destroyed, that has come to my table to talk to me. Now, one of them said, I met him at a Broadway show. Or I met him in a movie theater. Those are all traits. I'm not telling you that it's good. But hundreds was a text message. And hundreds was Facebook. So you can't tell me that there's nothing wrong with it. And this Mishnah, which this guy came, who someone told it to me this week, is amazing. Because when you turn the Mishnah into today, and every Mishnah is forever, so that's what Rabbi Kisma is saying. The first thing the guy did was say, Shalom Aleichem. And he said back, Shalom Aleichem. And what Rav Kisma was saying, that every neshama, right, he didn't tell him where he came from. He didn't tell him New York or Brooklyn. He made a comment. I come from a big city where there are rabbis. There's a million cities like that. What he was saying to the Sahara is, don't mess with me. I come from Shemaim. Meir Gedola, from the biggest city in the world. I'm a neshama. I come from the greatest place in the world, which is Shemaim, which is Olam Haba, which is Gan Eden. And guess what's going on there? It's a city full of chachamim and seifrim. Tzadikim, that's where I come from. Don't mess with me. I'm alone. So the Sultan said to him, Rabbi, we want you to dwell with us in our place. Not our place, but in, in this world, in the places that the Yitzhahara lives in. We want you to dwell with us. So Rabbi Kisma wasn't going to say back, do you have rabbis? He knew who he was talking to. Yitzhahara says, we want you to live in American culture. So the girls who were in seminary in Eretz Yisrael, who left this holy, holy Eretz Yisrael, Yushalayim and the Kaisal, and all these places, you're back in the Tumma of all Tummas. In the Tumma of all Tummas. So the Yitzhahara says, no, Come, live with us. And I'll give you anything you want. Zav and Kesef and Magolios and anything that you want in the world. It's all yours. The world is open to you. You're free. It's not communism. You're in a free world. You can do whatever you want. You want to smoke on Shabbos? Smoke on Shabbos. You don't want to be sneers? Don't be sneers. Talk to bo- Whatever you want. This is my world. And it's going to be great. I'm going to pay you. You're going to have a great time. And therefore, if Kisma said back, we need to answer him. Uh-uh. You can give me everything in the world. Any da elabamakum taira. I live, it says in a shama, only in a holy place. I only live in a makum taira. And therefore, he didn't have to ask the Yetzirah, do you have chachamim and tzaddikim by you? That would have been a silly question. 
That's not what the Yetzirah was offering. And therefore, the next comment he says, the Mishnah, is I want you to know, Yetzirah, all your stuff, your television, your, your Blackberry, Blueberry, Raspberry, your computer, your online, offline, your Facebook, your Facebook, all this garbage that he's offering everybody from everywhere, we can't take it with us, Yetzirah. We can't take any of that with us. All we can take with us. Because otherwise it doesn't make sense. What, what's he giving you a Muslim schmooze? This guy met him. He offered him a job as a rabbi. What are you giving him? Give him a Muslim schmooze. Because he was telling Yetzirah, we know we can't take any of this with us. The only thing that we can take with us is, is Tyra Mice and Tyra. Is Tyra and good deeds. It's a whole different Mishnah. I never learned a Mishnah like this. It's a whole different Mishnah, but the Mishnah now makes, makes sense. So there's a story um, that I have said in the past, I don't know how many of you have heard it, but it's a very true story, and it's really a, it's a story on this Mishnah. It's, a, it's an important story on this Mishnah. And the story is like this. So there was this king, and he had a person in his kingdom who was really, really good, and really the king loved him, and he loved the king, and the king decided that he needs to reward him to show people that if you do things that you're supposed to do, the king is going to take care of you. So the king announced to everybody that he's opening his treasury, his gold, his jewels, his silver, his money, everything, for one hour to this man. And at the end of an hour, whatever this man can take out of his treasury belongs to him. That's billions of dollars. Diamonds and crowns and cash. and Whatever a person could imagine. And this guy was so excited, he was running around in his whole town. Did you hear the king? I'm going to the king's treasury. I want everyone to come with me, to stand outside. I'm going to bring out for you. Mommy, I'm going to bring out for you. My brother, my uncle, I'm going to get stuff for you. I'm going to take care of everybody. He was very excited. One hour in the king's treasury, wow, that's like crazy. In the meanwhile, there was one person in that town that hated him, despised him, and could not handle that this guy is going to walk out and become a billionaire. He's a poor man. He's going to come out and be a billionaire and give all this stuff away. And he had to come up with a plan. So he went to the king. And he said to the king, listen, I, have, I think you should surprise this guy. I have an unbelievable thing. On top of what you're doing, that you're opening the treasury, he loves, loves classical music. I think... You should have the biggest orchestra in the treasury and they should play while he's picking out the gold. They should play classical music. And the king says, wow, you really love him. That's such a beautiful thought. He says, well, I'll tell you more, king. He's going to be hungry. He loves lamb chops, barbecues. The king says, good. You know what? I didn't even think to give him food. We're going to have a grill with a, big, with a guy, a barbecue specialist, and we're going to have lamb chops. He says, there's one more thing, king, that you don't know about him. He loves good scotch. Good scotch whiskey, Johnny Walker Blue. That's his love. And the king says, you're an amazing friend. I have such an amazing friend. But not only is he going to take out the gold, but he's going to be able to eat and listen to music. Beautiful. This guy knew what he was doing. So he went out. The king said, you take care of it. They went. They got the best scotch. And they got the best orchestra. And they got the best lamb chops. No, this guy walks in. He tells everybody, get ready. I'm going to bring out all this stuff. He walks in. And it's amazing. There's gold and there's silver. He's in the treasury. 60 minutes. There's a stop clock. And this guy 
is in there too because he took care of everything. The king said, you can take care of everything. He's in there and he says to him, ah, Yankel, sit down, I got you a chair. We're going to play your, best, your most favorite song by the Boston Symphony. This is, and he sees all the strings and the cellos and everything. He's like, oh my goodness, I always dreamt of going you know, to the opera. This is amazing, it's such a concert. And he sits down in the front seat and they begin to play. And he's sitting there and he's in heaven. This is his dream, a hundred strings and cellos, and it's amazing. And they play for half an hour, and he's sitting there, and he's like, can I be the conductor? And they're like, yes, you can be the conductor, because he can do whatever he wants. And he's conducting, and it's Mamasha, half an hour, the most amazing music he's ever heard. And now he turns around, and he says, okay, that was great, now I'm going to go get my silver and my gold, and I'm going to start taking out money, and, hmm, lamb chops. Where are the lamb chops? Oh, you got to come to this side over here. we got a Bobby who he comes over there. Pshee! Lamb chops roasted with, with barbecue sauce, with everything. They're like, you gotta taste it, sit down at the table, we're gonna serve it. He says, okay, I got a half an hour. I can do a lot in a half an hour. I don't need a half an hour. I need 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, what do I need? Right? So he sits down and he starts eating his lamb chops. And then he finishes lamb chops and the bartender walks over and says, no, you want a good shot? Look what we got. 38 year old, 48 year old, whatever, the scotch. And his sister, of course, everyone here figured out the story already. And this guy is very busy. The guy who was jealous of him, who's making believe is his friend, he's bringing him scotch and he's bringing him lamb chops. And there's like a minute left and there's like a half a minute left. And he's already drunk. He's already laying over the bar. He can't pick up anything. And his mom is drunk and he's like, Ugh. he's making all kinds of noises. And his face is full of lamb chop oil and grease. And his fingers are full of oil and grease. His shirt is full of oil and grease. And finally, the alarm goes off, and the hour's up. And as they're schlepping him out of the thing, right, he picks up one pearl or something, he puts it in his pocket, he's half drunk, whatever it is. He comes out, everyone's figuring, they're coming out with a shopping cart of gold and silver, and they're all waiting. His father and his mother, he promised gold. The poor people, he promised gold. His, his, his wife, he promised gold. His nephews, his uncles, everybody comes out, drunk, with some lamb chops on his, in between his teeth and some grease on his face and grease on his shirt. And they're like, Are you, where's the stuff? Like, what'd you bring out? And he's like, oh, life's great. And he throws up, you know, a little bit all over himself just to give you a nice picture, you know. And here you have this guy who had everything and he's walking out. He's full of throw up and grease and fachlach, fachmecht. He's had it, he's done. And they bring him home and his wife's beyond herself. And he had an hour in the king's treasury. He comes out throwing up without anything she goes through his pockets and she finds this one pearl so he came out with one pearl which probably helped them you know, eat for the rest of their lives but he wakes up of course and he realizes what a fool and he realizes at the same time girls this is very important according to this Mishnah he realizes at the same time that this man that was inside the, the, the king's room was not his friend. That all the time he was in that room, he couldn't believe that this guy was his best friend. He brought him music, he brought him lamb chops, he brought him scotch. And now he realized, oh my goodness, that was my biggest enemy. If he wouldn't have been in that room, I would have been collecting gold and silver for, for that hour. So now you think of Marshall. And that's what he's saying in this Mishnah. The rabbi came and he said to the Yetzirah, I come from a world. Oilam Haba, Ganeidin, I come from a world that's full of Torah and mitzvahs, and full of tzaddikim, and all the gold and silver, and all the stuff that you want me to look at, and to be busy with my whole life, I'm not interested, because you can't take that with you, 
the only thing you can take with you is your Torah and your Maishim Torah. The Yitzhahara girl comes to you as your friend. Friend starts with an F and fun starts with an F. Friend, fun, let's have fun. And he looks like the greatest guy in the world. Got your new phone, got your new car, got your new this, got you this, got you that. And you're, this is my best friend. Look, look, life is great. This is amazing. And the whole time his concentration is that God put you into a world. God put you into this beautiful vault, which is the world that we live in. It's a beautiful vault. You can get up in the middle of my share, go to the back, and make a bracha on a piece of chicken. Or make a bracha on a glass of soda. This is an amazing world. There's billions and zillions of dollars in mitzvahs waiting for every girl here. Every bracha. Every mitzvah. Every time you light Shabbos candles. Crazy vulture in. It's a horror's job. Because he hates you. Hates every one of us. Wants to destroy every one of us. Wants to make sure that we're not around when Mashiach comes. I had a crazy conversation with a boy this week. He's a good boy, but he's gone through, gone through a lot. And he's got a lot of friends that come from, from families, and they smoke on Shabbos. And, and everyone, any smoker knows you don't need to smoke on Shabbos. The biggest smokers don't smoke on Shabbos, because you get down to Shami, you say, you don't need to smoke on Shabbos. My father used to smoke three packs of cigarettes a day. Shabbos, he had no problem. From the beginning of Shabbos to the end of Shabbos, he didn't even want a cigarette. So, so he asked his friends why. Then he had a friend, he told me he was walking with him, and the, the friend's a good boy. And they were hanging out with these guys that are Jews that were not keeping Shabbos. And his friend needed to text somebody on Shabbos. So he asked the boy, could you text for me? And the boy says, no, I'm not texting for you. Text yourself. And this happened this last Shabbos. And this religious kid, right, he handed him the phone, and the religious kid texted on Shabbos. So this boy who came to talk to me said, Rebbe, what's going on with Shabbos? Why is Yitzhahara picking on Shabbos? And the truth is that the two biggest Yitzhaharas for boys today are being Mechal Shabbos, smoking on Shabbos, even if they don't smoke, getting in a car on Shabbos, being Mechal Shabbos, and girls. The two biggest Yitzhaharas. You don't see guys off the derech going into a Burger King. Let me go get a cheeseburger. Not interested. All the other Averis, not interested. Not interested. They'll even wear tzitzes. Those are the two Averis that they're very into. And I know the reason, and it's a very scary reason. And, and, and I hate to say it, that, 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 that the Averis that girls are into are the same Averis. They're not eating burgers. They're not eating cheeseburgers. They're not eating shrimp. They're not eating lobster. None of these kids. Not interested. Ugh. Boys and Chilol Shabbos. To hear that a bunch of girls got on a train from a, from a religious school on a Shabbos, six girls got on a train to take a train from a point in Brooklyn to another point in Brooklyn, come back and get off the train. They weren't going anywhere. Just as me, Michal Shabbos. You see, Hashem didn't kill us. Hashem has a lot of Rachmanis. So, why? Why would this girl go on a train? What do you have from it? You have to go on a train. You didn't go nowhere. If you went to Bloomingdale's and you went shopping, it's wrong. But I could hear you, Yates Sahara. What did, what did you get from it? And the answer is very scary. And the answer is that, that this world is almost over. It's the times of Mashiach. It really is. And I didn't give the boys shit, so I promised the boys, because last night uh, my daughter gave birth a few days ago and I was in the hospital 
So I didn't give the boys share. And my boys share this week is on Mashiach. And they said, if you give the girls a share on Mashiach, before you give us a share on Mashiach, Rebbe, it's not going to be fair. Because we're Tuesday night and they're Wednesday night. So I said, you know what? I won't give my share on Mashiach until next week. But I'm telling you, when, when I tell you the share next week, and you listen to the Gemara, you're going to be listening to the news. It's not normal. Mashiach is coming. And he's very close. And when he gets here, the Malachamavest, the Satan, the Mekatri, will be killed. And he knows that. It's over. And he's going to take as many Jewish kids with him that he can. It's a saying in English, in the throes of death is the greatest strength of that. When you, when you, when you kill a lion or whatever it is, that last second, when it's about to die, is its greatest strength. And it talks about it in Kabbalah. The greatest strength of the Satan is when he's about to die. And his job is to take as many Jewish children, the Shamas, with him. He's going. He got no choice. He's gone. Mashiach comes, he's dead. But he wants to take as many Jewish neshamas that he can with him. That's Amalek. That's the enemy. You're dying. Leave us alone. Leave us alone. You're dying. What do you want from me? No, it's Amalek. I'm going down. I'm taking as many down with me as I can. And Chilu Shabbos and Nida are the two creases, the two Chayv Kares in the Torah. So he's not interested in you eating a cheeseburger because that's not curries. And he's not interested in you doing all the other stupid things that we used to do. People who are, who are not, who, are, who keep Shabbos, he's not interested in those Averis girls. Nah, not even Lashon Hara. It ain't Lashon Hara anymore. That's not curries. He wants curries. He wants every Jewish kid to be chayef curries, to be cut off. Curries means the person is, neshama is cut off. He wants to take all those neshamas with him when he goes down. So he is putting things into kids' heads they don't even understand. They're flicking on lights on Shabbos in front of their parents. What are you doing? If you turn on the television, can you want to see your show? So that's taifa. Why are you flicking on a light? What does that do for you? I want to show my parents who's who. Silly girl. The Sultan wants you to be chayef karesh. In chayef karesh, you don't need Adim and you don't need hasra. So he's after the two things. He's after Nida and he's after Shabbos. And he wants to take every girl and every boy that he can, he wants to take them with him. When he gets killed, he wants them to be taken away, that they can't be here when Mashiach is here. He wants Karais. Yes, you can do tshuva. Everything, nothing stands in front of tshuva. But these people are not doing tshuva. They think it's a big game. They're not doing tshuva. They're not standing there, I'm sorry. By the time they're going to want to do tshuva, it's going to be too late. And that's why he's going after our children. And that's why today, Chilol Shabbos is so huge. Where there are girls from from homes who are getting text messages on Shabbos and answering them. And their parents who are able to read what phone calls and text messages come in through, through a computer on Verizon are beyond themselves that their daughter on Shabbos at 4.22 in the afternoon made a phone call. And how could that be? And the answer is that the Yetzirah, who's this guy that the rabbi met in the world, who said, Shalom Aleichem, how are you? I'll give you anything you want. Just come to my city. It's an unbelievable Mishnah. Just hang out with me on my site, on my internet. Come to my city where I live. It's very scary. It's a big war. And I feel very bad for the, for the young kids of this generation. My grandson was born this week, and I was looking at him, and I'm like, What's the deal? What's going to be with him and his generation? 
how's he going to be able to fight all this? And the Rav answered, and he said, Ella through I want to live in a city, he told the Satan. I don't want all your gold, I don't want all your silver, I don't want all your garbage. I know what you're after. You're after my soul. He's after every one of our souls. You should know that. Every one of our souls, who you think is your friend, this Yitzhahara, who you think is your friend, you'll find out just like this guy. He's making all the music that you want. He's giving you the food that you want. He's doing everything for you. He's mamish looks like your friend. And in the end of life, when you come to Shemayim and they say, Nu Chanoa, just giving a name. Nu, you were in the world. How many brachas? How many mitzvahs? How many chasadim? What'd you bring? What'd you bring us? Lamb chops. Here, here's my, here's my cell phone. Here's my Blackberry. That's what they want. I was the queen of, of texting. I, I did 38,000 texts in, in, in two months. And you're going to realize that the guy behind this is going to be standing there. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, you got nothing. 80 years. You came up here. You walked out with some grease on your face, some throw up, and some scotch. And then you realize who your friend is and who isn't your friend. It's an amazing mission. I wasn't going to talk on this mission this week. I wanted to talk on the Pasha. It's an amazing, amazing mission. And this Mishnah is, by the, by the way, at the end of the whole Pekayavos. After everything you learned in Pekayavos, comes this Mishnah. Okay. I want to end. This week's Pasha is a very tough Pasha. Rosh Rabbeinu, Lost Aaron, Hit the Rag, everything that could go wrong went wrong. But there's something very important. A little psychology. Torah psychology. Like this. I want to read it from inside. Sorry that I'm being so harsh, but I, I have to be. Because any person that we can save, the Neshama, when Mashiach comes, they'll be with us, and they don't go with him, is worth being harsh. Anyway, I like being harsh. Okay. It's just my way of doing things. You've got to be real. Okay. We'll end with this thought. So, Klai Yisrael, Perek they're complaining again. Why did you take us out of Mitzrayim? We don't got bread. We don't got water. Oh, they quetch. Right? So Hashem said, that's it. I'm going to punish you. Hashem sent them snakes. The Satan is compared to the Nachash, right? Poisonous snakes. Snakes that bite and kill. And they started, the snakes started coming. They started biting people. I'm Rav Yisrael. Many Jews died. And the nation came to Moshe again. They always did this after they got punished. And they said, we sinned. Because we spoke against Hashem and we spoke against you. And get rid of the snake. And he Now normally, that was enough. They said, he daven. Hashem would take away the snakes. Not this time. This time Hashem didn't just take away the snakes. Hashem said to Moshe, Make a snake. Make a snake. Not a real snake. I think it was made out of copper. It was made out of copper. Put him on a pole. And anyone who got bitten, he should look at the snake and he won't die. He'll live. This is one of the things that was hidden. Had to be hidden because otherwise it would have become an avoid zara. So it was hidden. And Moshe made a copper snake. He put it on a stick. 
If somebody was bitten, he would look about the snake, and he would live. So we know that Mephoshim say, why? Because if you look up, then you look at Hashem. Once you're looking at Hashem, you do tshuva. Once you do tshuva, you're saved. So there's an amazing question. And the question is, why a snake? The thing that I get bitten, you know, when you get bitten, you know, when, when some Hashem almost drowns in the pool, the last thing you want to do is go in the pool. If a dog bites you, the last thing, I think the meanest thing, if you went to visit someone who had a dog bite, would be to buy him, right, a little porcelain dog to put in their room. I mean, hello, I just got bitten by a dog, right? You're coming to the hospital to visit me. I got 50 rabies shots, chas v'shalom, in my belly, right? And the long shots. And in walks Mrs. Ahur and says, hi, look what I bought you. A nice little dolly, German Shepherd poodle doggy, dolly. You know, Get that out of here. You crazy? That's going to bring back all my memories. So why would the Torah... Why would Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu put up a snake that they're getting bitten by so they should look up? Put up a Sefer Torah. Put up on a stick a Sefer Torah. They should look up at a Sefer Torah. A mezuzah. A piratillin. Right? The luchos. And they'll look up at the luchos and they'll say, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I did. A Sefer Torah. I can't believe I complained against Hashem. Why would you put up the thing that bit me? Very, very amazing for everybody. This happened once before, and who did it happen to? It happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to Hashem, and Hashem said, take your stick. And Hashem said, throw it down. And the stick turned into a nachash. So this was not the first time that Moshe Rabbeinu met a nachash. What happened last time? Vayomer. Throw your stick down to the ground. Became a snake. And Moshe ran away from the snake. He ran away from the snake. He ran away. He couldn't deal with it. He was very scared of it. And Hashem said to Moshe, Grab the snake. Hashem didn't say to Moshe, You got nothing to worry about a snake. I'll protect you. Why did Hashem tell Moshe, Snake? You worried about a snake? I'm Hashem. We're talking. Snakes are going to bother you when we're talking. I'll burn them up in five seconds. No. Hashem said, bend down and pick up the snake that you're scared of. But Yishlach Yodo, he sent out his hand. But not really. He wasn't like, he sent it out. Like, oh my goodness. But he lamated and it became a stick. What Hashem was telling Moshe Rabbeinu is in order to cure yourself, from what's ailing you, from what's going wrong in your life, is that you need the thing that bit you, you need to be able to look at it, to stare it in the face. Because the greatest cure for a person is when you're able to look the problem instead of running away from the problem. Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu, ran away from the problem. So at that point, Hashem could have killed the snake. What, what would he have taught us in the Torah? The Torah teaches us psychology, not books. With... with a bunch of Goyim writing a bunch of who knows what and half of them were drunk and half of them were other things look in the Torah you want to know how to, how to psychology and Hashem is telling him if I'm going to kill that snake what did I teach you? you run away from your problems and somebody else will take care of it this is like wow you hear? you hear what the Torah is telling us? Hashem could have killed the snake well Shemina ran away from it okay no problem snake dead what would have Hashem taught him and us through the Torah? You have a problem. There's a snake, right? You're running away from it. Okay, don't worry. Run. I'll take care of it. That's our generation. Everybody has to take care of your problems. 
instead of us taking care of our problems. Kishbaruch said, no, I'm not helping you. I'll help you. I'm going to do magic for you. But I'll only do magic for you when you grab the snake. When you grab the snake, I'll help you. But you've got to grab your problem. You've got to take it in hand. And when you take it in hand and you face it, I'll turn it into a stick. But if you're not, I'm not letting you run away. So over here, Kishbaruch did the same thing for the whole Klyistrom. He said, look at it. And look at it. But when you look at it, understand, when you're looking at what bit you, understand that I'm above it. I will help do the refuah. Look at what hurt you. And face what hurt you, and then I'll fix it. But if you're going to run from it, if you're just going to run from it, that's not Torah. You'll never fix it. It'll still be there. It'll be hidden maybe deep, deep in your heart, and it'll come out 40 years from now, or it'll come out 10 years from now. But if you don't face your problem, it won't get fixed. So the Torah had told Moshe Rabbeinu, the snake that bit him, let him look at it. Let him face it. If they face it, and talk of the Magefa, the Magefa was over. And that is the secret of growing. The secret of growing is not not to fail. We all fail. Tzadik, it says, fall seven times at least. So don't get crazy if you fail. It's a normal human being thing to do. In the physical world, before you walk, you probably fail two, three hundred times. You bang your knee, you bang your head, you bang your shoulder, you bang this. You're a little kid. Before you talk a whole word, you probably talk thousands of syllables that make no sense until you're able to get them together. All the things that a human being does, it takes a long time to do it. To do math, to do English, to, to do your script, to do... It doesn't happen. An animal right away, he's born right away. He eats. If he's a cow, he, you can milk it. Whatever they do in their life... There's no process of growth. There's no process of failing. But us as human beings, we fail when we're born. We can't walk. We can't talk. We can't do anything. We're a total failure. We are born a total failure. Nothing. I held the Baruch Hashem. They're very cute. And that's why Hashem made them cute. Because otherwise, total failure. I don't want anything to do with you. But Hashem made babies look cute. Imagine babies were born five feet four, five feet six. Crying in the middle of the night. Go cry. Get yourself your own drink, you know? <laughs> I'm not getting up at 2 in the morning. Hashem made them very cute, but the truth is, he's born a failure. He can do nothing. Zero. Can't talk, can't walk, can't do math, can't do nothing. All he can do is his diaper. And then you have to change him. He does nothing. So Hashem created us to fail. And then to grow. And to crawl. And then to walk. And then to fall. And, and that's how a person grows. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. But from your failure, if you're able to stand up, and you're, you're able to grow from that failure, from the snake bite, you are able to grow. You know what? That's the only way you can grow. The only way for true growth is to have failed and to have overcome, because then you know that you can overcome. Otherwise, you don't know. Maybe, I'll, maybe if that test comes to me, I won't be able to. doesn't mean you should go looking for tests. You'll get, your, you'll get enough coming without you looking for it. Well, Hashem has the whole thing set up for us. You don't have to look for it. There's no question... All the things in my life, I can just tell you from my own experience, all the things that I stopped, and that was a lot of stuff. I was brought up, I watched television, and I went to the movies, and I listened to rock and roll. I was a, a, a regular kid in those days. I did all that stuff, and, and, and I was a big television watcher because my head, is, as you can tell by now, is a, is a very fictional head. 
And a very imaginative, you know, as so I sat there, and of course, all my friends thought I was some kind of weirdo. And I watched Star Trek, and I watched Star Wars, and I and I read Tolkien, and I was very into the other world, and the middle world, and the other world, and all kinds of fiction. And it's not a boys' thing to watch fiction. They all thought I was nuts. I was like, let's go see Star Wars. They're like, that's the one movie we're not going to. And how did I give all that up? I just woke up one morning and said, God, that's it. No movies, no television, no rock and roll. It's all done. It's impossible. You can't do that. And you know, if you do that, it won't last. I started with one thing. I'm not watching television anymore. Very hard for me. And I failed. I failed. I said I wasn't watching anymore. But, 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 but. Then the Giants win the Super Bowl. I mean, ah. So, Hashem, you don't really care if I watch sports. I don't want you to watch the Giants. There was a science fiction show after that. And I failed. I failed. And then I tried again. And I failed again. And I tried again, and finally I was able to give up television. Now I said to myself, one second, Meshuggah, television, I lived, I lived. Mama, I used to stay up till 2 o'clock at night, I needed it. I had all the excuses. I had to unwind, and I need it, and it's good for me, and if I watch at night, I can learn better in the morning. Don't, don't ask how that works, but, it, you know, I'm relaxed. I had all those stories. When I finally gave that up, Right? I gave up my failures because I didn't, you can't give it up in one shot. I finally gave that up. I said, wow, if I could do that, let me try movies. Maybe, maybe I could do movies. You know, television, movies, the same thing, maybe, you know. But my friends go, and when we're going to do Matsu Shabbos, this is my private thing. My friends don't know I give up television, but now I have to tell them I don't go to movies. They're going to give me the, eh, what happened you get from? And you think you're better than us? And we get that whole thing. And I really want to get that whole thing, you know, because, and I got that whole thing. And it was yes, and it was no, and it was only certain kind of movies and that. And finally, from the failing of the television and, 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 and winning, I was able to stop the movies. And then came rock and roll. To me, I'm a musician. That was like, I had all the excuses that everybody has. It doesn't affect you. It's just music. Who cares who wrote it? Who cares what? I'm listening to it. I learned Gemara, and I can listen to Gaisha music. It doesn't affect me. And like, why do I have to give that up? And it was probably of all the things, now I'm sure it's not to everyone like that, but I'm a musician and I was deep, deep into Chas Shalom, not rap, it didn't exist in my day, it wouldn't have, couldn't have existed in my day, uh, the dirtiest word that was ever used was, was the, the English word for Gehenna, and they took that off, they took that off, because it was, you couldn't use such a word in music, yeah, you couldn't use such a word, the English word for Gehenna, which you find translated in article, all the, no, they took them off the air, you understand, so to me I was like, yeah. You know, Zeppelin, this, that, all this stuff. It doesn't have an effect on me. I don't have a bunch of chayas screaming, you know, kill them, then bill them, then chill them, you know, and then will them, and everything rhymes, and you know, and, and destroy the whole world. And I didn't have that at all, right? And, and it was a very big struggle because my Yetzirah said, no, come hang out with me. There's nothing wrong. The words are clean. And I looked at the strength of television, and I looked at the strength of movies, and I said, Tina Turner, it's over. All your tapes are out the window. Led Zeppelin, you're gone. The doors, you're finished. The Beatles, it's out of here. And then I said, and then I said, but now where am I going? What music am I going to listen to? And I got my first Loma Kalabach tape, and I'm like, I'm going back to the other music. <laughs> and it was a very big void because the Yitzhak does a very good job because Goyish music has the beat, it's cool, it's got the words, it's got everything. And he's selling a great product. He's got lamb chops and scotch and everything that you need. And then I searched and I said, I won't listen to rock and roll, but I'm going to listen to Yanni because 
because it sounds Jewish and I went to a concert but he's not Jewish and it's not Jewish and it doesn't have holy words in it so but you know I stayed there for a while it's a, it's a fight girls you don't win right away it's a fight how did I stop listening to rock and roll and I'm a musician and I have a lot of respect for Jewish music really Shreki's great they're all great but from a musician's standpoint of view it's different it's very different because the Tomei side has more lamp chops to offer there's nothing to talk about so how did I give up rock and roll and of course every time you go to CBS they're playing the one song I love it's, you know they haven't worked out I, I call a business and the phone is on hold and it's like how do they know my favorite song like why is that playing you understand and it's, it's a fight and it's a fight but you know how I got I got rid of my, my, my non-Jewish music because I got rid of my television and I got rid of my movies so my struggles with those became my anti-venom when a snake bites you the only thing that can save you is the anti-venom the anti-venom is made from the venom the thing that saves you is the thing that bit you your growth your growth comes I don't know Ezra Max was saying some lines over there everybody was writing I couldn't follow him but I'll tell you a line your, girl, your growth comes from your struggle comes from your failure that's from your real growth because if you can say no to something then you can take the next step and say no to something else and that's what Hashem said in this week's parsha. said Moshe Rabbeinu the snake bit them let them look at the snake and the snake that they're looking at if they can overcome and they can do tshuva on what they said and they can look past the snake to me that will be their refuah this is all part of life this is all part of growth no one's perfect everyone has to go through their stuff use your struggles to grow and that's why he didn't put a Sefer Torah up on that pole because the Sefer Torah wouldn't have helped them that's not what bit them the television bit them the movie bit them the snake bit them therefore they had to stare it down they had to stare it and say you know what took me down but by me beating you that's my anti-venom that's my strength may Hashem give everyone here and the, and the whole Klai Yisrael the strength to do tshuva to get close to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. and when we see Mashiach and the end of that Yetzirah and the Satan and may nobody in Klai Yisrael be cut off but just the opposite, everyone in Klai should be connected. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.